Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor. And this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I've had loads more great questions sent in by listeners. So thank you very much for that. I'm going to pick a few off and see if I can answer them in this episode. But do please keep your questions coming in. And the best way probably to do this is to go onto the Progressive Property Facebook group, ask a question, tag me in, and you'll not just get my answer then on the podcast, but you'll get everybody else chipping in with an answer as well. And you'll get even more advice. So let's crack on with the first question. And the first question is... Do I need to have a lot of money to become a property investor? Well, if you don't know what you don't know, you might think, yes, of course, you need to have a lot of money to be a property investor. But in property, other people's money is by far the best way to buy property. It's much better to use other people's money than it is to use your money. In fact, if I had time and if I was any good at maths, I could prove this by getting a flip chart and going through some examples. But the long and the short of it is that when you use other people's money, the return on the money to you is much greater. If you mix in some of your money, the return on the money which you put in is very much increased and accelerated and accentuated by using other people's money. Or if you use 100% other people's money, then we get into this crazy property thing which we think about from time to time, where the return to you is effectively infinite because you've got no money in at all, but you're getting the whole return from whatever money has gone in, if you see what I mean. You see, one of the problems, I think, which can hold some property investors back is actually starting with some of their own money. Because when we've got some of our own money, we can assume that that's it. And we become fixated with how much money we've got. So, for example, if somebody's got £50,000 saved up, which, by the way, would be fantastic and very commendable, they kind of think to themselves that they've only got £50,000 to play with. Now, one of my co-trainers on Masterclass, Rebecca Smith, was telling me that she thinks it was of a real advantage to her when she started with no money at all, because when she came to Progressive having no money, she couldn't fixate on the amount of money that she had because she didn't have any, which meant that she had a completely open mind. It meant that because she had to, she went out and she networked and she started talking to people about raising money. She had no preconceptions or limits as to how much money she could raise, And as a result, over the last three years or so, she's raised millions of pounds in JV finance. So the long and the short of it is the answer to this question, do I need to have a lot of money, is it's good to have a lot of money just so long as it's somebody else's money. Similarly, it's good to have access to credit. Why? Because it's credit which is going to help you to raise money. So make sure that you guard and nurture your credit rating. It's something which is very important. I've got an app on my phone which allows me to check my credit score. Now, you might think that's a bit nerdy, sitting there in the evening while I'm gorging Netflix, checking my credit score. But I do, because it's important, because I'm regularly borrowing money against my properties, regularly taking out new mortgages, and it's good to know what my credit rating is, because the bank's going to look, and that's going to be part of the decision-making process when they decide whether they're going to lend me some money. The other thing we all need to be doing as property investors is making sure that we build our network so that we have access to people with money and therefore access to their money. 
And just think about other ways that you can get credit. What about banks? I mean, it's a very obvious thing, but sometimes we get so fixated on raising JV finance that we forget that there's banks out there. And banks can be very flexible. Depends who you're dealing with. A high street bank may not be that flexible, but maybe the answer is that you go and you borrow bridging from a bridging company who can be very flexible. Is there money in your own home? Is there equity in your own home? Do you have other investments which have got equity? Do you have other assets which might not be property, but which you can use as collateral to give perhaps a JV partner or a bank some kind of comfort if they're going to lend to you? And what about things like credit cards and overdrafts and stuff, which I've used and have used quite recently, actually, to pay for JVs and to pay for cheap properties? You could even think about using personal loans. The banks are always offering me personal loans because I've got accounts for them. If you've got a bank account, you probably get offered a personal loan by a bank as well. When I started, I actually had no money of my own. And I know sometimes when I say this, people look at me and they roll their eyes and think, well, it's just hype. But it's literally true. I was made redundant. I didn't have any savings. And obviously, when I was made redundant, I didn't have any income. So I had to be quite creative as to how I started in property. And I know many property investors who have started in a similar position with no money. So the answer to the question is, do I need to have a lot of money to get to be a property investor is no, you don't have to have a lot of money. In fact, it doesn't have to be your money. But the reality is, if you're going to be a property investor, you're going to have to get your hands on some money. So please try and understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. No one likes a fake. So you don't have to pretend that you've got money. It's more a case of be it till you see it, if you've heard that expression. So act as if you've got the money, sure. Don't fake it, though. Don't try and pull the wool over anybody's eyes. Don't try and pull the wool over your eyes, but just be creative. Don't let the fact that you've got no money stop you from doing the things that you want to do, I suppose, is what I'm really trying to say. There are people out there who will finance your deals and help you find the money and give you the money, help give you the money to use. Not, I'm not saying necessarily as a gift, although that might happen as well. I don't know. Depends what you're believing for out there. But the money's out there and you will be able to find it. Apart from anything else, it's important for you to believe that you're a property investor. So you need to keep yourself start. Well, apart from anything else, it's important for you to believe that you are a property investor. So you need to get yourself started and then you need to keep. No. Question number two. Can I call myself a property investor if I have no property? How do I market myself? Well, the answer to this has got to be, yes, of course, you can call yourself a property investor, even if you have no properties, particularly when you're starting. But I'd actually go further and say you should call yourself a property investor. In fact, you need to be telling everybody that you're a property investor even before you do your first deal. Now, sometimes I know that beginner investors look at me a little bit awry when I say that and think, Peter, can I really do that? I need to have integrity. I need to have volition. And I fully understand that. But one example of this, which I heard, which explains this, I think, really, really well, is to think of it this way. It's a bit of a silly example, but just bear with me. Supposing you were going to go for a job. And it may be something, I don't know, fairly mundane, like being a, a bar person. Maybe you've never worked in a bar before, but you could go for a job interview and you could get a job as a bar person. Now, at the point where you are about to start, but you haven't quite started and somebody said to you, what do you do? Would you have any problem at all saying that you're a bar person? No, 
Why? Because it's not been a property investor, I suppose. But the reality is, until you actually turn up at the pub and you pull your first pint, you've got no experience. But technically, at that point, you are a bar person. As I say, it's a bit of a trite example, but bear with me in this. The point is that it's not really your experience. It's almost like your title. It's almost going a stage further. It's your belief that makes you what you are. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that being a property investor is actually a state of mind and it's not a qualification. So even if you haven't bought a property yet, you can still legitimately call yourself a property investor. So do it. Now you need to do it. You need to get out there and tell everybody that you're a property investor. You need to get your business cards printed and you need to get out to network meetings and landlords meetings and start telling people what you're doing. Why? Because so many deals and so much finance comes from word of mouth. As soon as you start telling people what you do, and as soon as you start telling people what you're doing, you'll find that people will want to do business with you. It happens all the time. At Masterclass, we stress this over the four days of the weekend. And even by day two, people come in during the break and they say, I've just rung home, I've just rung my brother, I've just rung my friend, whoever, and I've told them that I'm a property investor. And they said, that's amazing. We want to lend you some money or we want to do a deal with you. Or I've got a friend who's got a property and they've been trying to sell it, but they can't sell it. Do you want to do a deal? It happens all the time. Things will happen when you get yourself out there and you start calling yourself a property investor, but you need to tell everyone that you're a property investor. When I first started, I have to admit that I was shy about doing this because, believe it or not, I am quite a shy person. And one of the things which I really hated was going into an estate agent and telling them that I was a property investor. But I made myself do it, especially when I was looking for my very first deal. To be honest with you, because I'm a bit paranoid and I'm almost ashamed to admit this, I was pretty sure at times that some of the estate agents were laughing at me behind my back or they were just thinking that I was a fraud. But I know now that that was just stuff going on in my head. I'm sure they weren't at all. I'm horribly paranoid, aren't I? If anybody knows any therapists that I should be doing for that, please do let me know. But there we are. That's how I felt about things. But, you know, I made myself do it. I didn't use that as an excuse not to do anything. Actually, it's because I had to do something because I'd been made redundant and I had to make this work. Otherwise, I'd have been skint. That was a great incentive to go and actually face all my fears, despite the fact that I thought I was being a bit of a fraud and people were laughing at me. So now I am a property investor because I've took my own advice. And it's not about faking it until you make it. Nobody likes a fake, but it's more like being be it till you see it, if you've ever heard that expression. So just get out there and do it. And apart from anything else, you've got to believe yourself to be a property investor because you need to get yourself started And then you need to make sure that you carry on once you have started. So get out there, do it, get on with it, and you will find it all works out. But you've got to tell everybody. Question number three. This is a great question. Question number three is, where can I meet other investors? Now, my question to you is, it depends on what you want to do with these other investors. Why do you want to meet them? Well, I'm going to assume that it's for business purposes and it's not because you think it has been like speed dating. So if it's for business purposes, well, it's going to be the usual places, isn't it? But bear with me because there's a bit of a twist to this answer, I think. So the usual places are going to be like network meetings. You can go to the PPNs, of course. Please do go to the PPNs. But, you know, we're not proud if you go to PIN meetings. That's fine. And there's many, many independent networking meetings out there. 
The thing is, when you go to a property networking meeting, the chances are you're going to mainly be mixing with investors or people who've got investor mindsets. So what I would suggest is that you also think about going to landlord meetings. If you go online and you look for the National Landlords Association and the Residential Landlords Association and see where they're having their landlords meetings, go to those as well, especially if you're looking for rent to rent properties or maybe you're looking for cheap properties to buy because why? Well, you're going to find tired landlords, people who are in the business but want to get out of the business and possibly landlords who are scared of Section 24. I've talked about Section 24 endlessly on this podcast. I'm not going to go into it again. If you're wondering what Section 24 is, it's bad news for landlords in theory. It's great news for us if we're buying though, because a lot of people are selling up because of it. But go and Google it and you'll find out all about Section 24 and what George Osborne has introduced in terms of offsetting mortgage interest. But that's not the only place where you're going to find investors. Where else are you going to find investors? Well, a good place to actually go and find investors is property auctions. Now, I'm not suggesting anything weird or creepy here, but when you're at the property auction, you could strike up conversation with people, particularly if you go to the bar afterwards or you're just hanging around at the back and somebody makes a bid and you can just talk to them and ask them what they see in the property. That can be a good place. You never know who you're going to bump into at the property auction. But of course, one of the great places for meeting investors, which I've got to say, is at Progressive on the courses which we run and on the events which we run. So come to a Masopi, a multiple streams of property income event, and you'll meet 100, 150, 200 people who are potential investor JV partners. Join the VIP and you'll meet loads of people who are like-minded and who are all going for it and who want to be successful in property. Investors are out there, they're at the events. But of course, investors are potentially everywhere. Depends on how you define an investor. At the JV Day, by the way, if you haven't done the JV Day, it's a great day. Do the JV Day. The JV Day is now actually a JV two days, but it's a great event. And at the JV Day days, we talk about where to find JV partners. And the long and the short of it is where do people with money or where do people who want to invest in property hang out? Sit down with a pad of paper and start working out where people with money hang out. Then you go and hang out there. Start talking to people. I suppose a related question to this, and I'm wondering why whoever asks this question has asked the question, I would bounce the question back almost, do I need to meet other investors? And I'm thinking about my own journey in property when I'm, when I'm going to give this answer, because I started out on my own, doing everything on my own. And for 18 years, I was a classic solopreneur. If you come to an event and you hear me training, you'll hear I'm being a bit tongue in cheek, but I'll often describe that as being a time when I sat in my home office for 18 years with no human contact apart from my wife, who is lovely, but she knows nothing about property. Not quite true, but it was kind of true. And I think you understand the sort of spirit and the sentiment of what I'm saying. And I spent 18 years doing it on my own and I did okay. But I look looking back now, I can see that if I hadn't done it all on my own, I could probably have done even better. And one of the things which I loved about Progressive and I realised as soon as I walked through the door is there's a community of amazing people, like-minded people, people who are very ambitious, people who are switched on, people who want to achieve. And I thought, this is it. This is my sort of spiritual property home. And I met the most amazing people doing the most amazing things. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about getting out there and meeting people, because I now know 
actually, I'm sort of making up for lost time because I spent 18 years doing it all on my own. I'm now making up for lost time and sort of hanging out already with anybody who'll hang out with me. Uh, that sounds a bit creepy. I don't mean it that way. You know what I mean, though, but it's just so great to be part of the community. And one of the reasons why I do the trainings, and sometimes people ask, well, you know, if you're such a successful property investor, why are you doing the trainings? It's because I love being with people and I love learning from people and I love being enthused and inspired by people. And I get all that as a trainer. Hopefully I'm able to give some inspiration and advice and help, but I also get it back as well by being with people when I'm doing the training. So there we are. Where can you meet other investors? Don't know. Just get out there and do it. That's the main thing. The people are out there. Question number four. Oh, I like this question. My family has money. Should I go to them? Well, there we go. I mean, there's a number of questions which actually arise from this. My family has money. Should I go to them? The first question is, what's your relationship with your family like? And I don't mean that in a silly way, but I remember once I was running a JV day and somebody talked about raising money from their family. And because I've got a good relationship with my family, I assumed that most people do. And so I said, you know, go to your family. See if you, they, they, you know, your family is quite often the place to start when you're looking for JV partners. And I forget the exact response, but somebody said to me, that's all well and good for you. But actually, I hate my parents or I've fallen out with my brother and sister or whatever it happened to be. And it was very, very sad. So I'm not going to assume necessarily that you do have a good relationship with your family. I would suggest that if you don't, then no, don't go to them, even if they've got the money. But if you haven't got a good relationship with them, but they've got the money, it may sound a bit manipulative and self-serving just to say, well, go and try and restore your relationship so you can get their money. But maybe you should. I don't know. I mean, they're your family. You tell me. So let's move on quickly before I dig a really big hole and say, let's assume that you have got a good relationship with your family, because obviously that's going to make things a lot easier. But even if you do have a great relationship with your family, I think you should keep your dealings with them as business-like as you can. If you're borrowing money, particularly if it's from family, but it, actually it's particularly if it's just from somebody else, which it would be, then I would say always have an agreement in writing. It can be tempting sometimes perhaps to try and have a shortcut and not have it all in writing with a family member. Don't think you should do that. Obviously, scale and degree comes into this. If you're only borrowing, say, five grand to do the refurb, you may not want to go to a solicitor and pay them 500 quid to prepare a loan agreement. But if you're borrowing £100,000 to buy a whole property, you probably would want to spend £500 having a solicitor draw up the agreement. I'd also say that even if your mum loves you, and hopefully your mum does love you, and your mum was going to lend you all the money you needed, I would still have some kind of a legal arrangement with your mother if not for her sake, although it would be for her sake, but just because if you've got siblings or other relatives, they're going to be looking over your shoulder, making sure that you do the right thing and you need to keep them happy as well. So many family fallouts happen because somebody's borrowing money off mum and they get a little bit jealous. And it could all go a bit horribly wrong, couldn't it, if you end up losing mum's money. So make sure you've got some kind of agreement for mum and for the sake of your siblings, your dad, whoever, whoever it is. Now, if it is a relatively small amount, you might draft the agreement yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, one side of A4 or even just a couple of paragraphs. The main thing is to make sure that all the terms are clearly stated 
and get it signed. And it's always better to have it witnessed so that nobody can say that to a later stage, no, you know, I didn't understand what I was signing. Make sure that everything's clearly stated, though. Make sure that you know exactly who's borrowing what, from whom, how much it is. Make sure it states exactly how long the loan's going to be. Make sure it states exactly when the loan's going to be paid back. And of course, any interest or profit share or whatever the terms are, make sure they're clearly stated. And if you can, depending upon how much you're borrowing, I would also get into the what ifs. You know, what if we get to the end of the loan agreement and I can't pay you back? What will happen then? Or what if I can only partially pay you back? Or what if, what if, what if? Make sure that you think about potential eventualities and make sure they're covered in the loan agreement. Now, if you're going to go to any member of your family, in fact, let me just make this so much wider because this covers approaching any JV partner. But when you're going to approach any JV partner, make sure that the deal stacks up. And I know that sounds very obvious, but maybe if it is somebody who's in your family, you might be a little bit more casual. But don't be. Do your due diligence. Make sure that it's a great deal. Just because they're family doesn't mean that you can be sloppy and just go and buy any old thing. All JV partners are important. Only put them into good deals, good deals that they're going to make something of. And whoever your JV partner is, make sure that the deal's attractive. Make sure it's attractive for them. Think about what's in it for them and think about what should be in it for them and make sure that you're going to give it to them. I think it's always worth going the extra mile and if necessary, letting them have a little bit more than you potentially to make sure that it's a good deal. Why? Because if they're going to be a good JV partner and if you do right by them, then at the end of the term, when you are about to pay them back, if you've done a good job for them, the chances are that they'll say, look, just keep the money. Let's go again. And then they can become almost like your permanent bank. So try and tailor make the deal for them. Do they need equity? Do they need income? Or do they need a mix of the two? Or whatever it is, structure it around their needs. One of the big advantages of approaching a family member is perhaps because they're your family, you know exactly what they what they need. But if you're going to approach a JV partner who isn't your family, then I'd suggest that you spend time getting to know them because then you can get to know what they need and you can get to know exactly what's important to them in the JV so you can structure the JV for them. So there we are. My family has money. Should I go to them? Well, absolutely. Go to them. Do some deals. Great way to start. When I first started, I started going to a family member and doing what I would now call a JV. I didn't even realise in those days that it was called a JV. But I went to a family member and I borrowed a small amount of money. I bought a small property, which was basically a, a refurb for flipping. And I did the refurb and then I flipped it a profit. I gave my JV partner a very good rate of interest. They were happy. I was happy. And that was one of the stepping stones to getting me started in property. I felt a bit awkward about asking a family member for money. I'm going to be honest. I said it in, in the last answer, I think, that I'm a little bit shy. I was a little bit shy about asking this particular family member if they wanted to invest in me. But they did. And I'm glad they did because I haven't looked back since. And question number five. This is a very interesting question. I wonder where this has come from. The question is, are property investors self-employed? Well, no, not necessarily. Now, but stick with me with this question, because I want to bring in a bit of a twist here, because I get asked a very similar question, which is phrased in a different way, though. So no, are property investors self-employed? No, 
Not necessarily. Now, I've been in property and self-employed for property. Now, I've been in property and self-employed in property for over 20 years. Why? Because I was made redundant. But if I hadn't have been made redundant and I'd gone into property, who knows? I might still be employed and in property. The reality is, actually, if I hadn't been made redundant, I probably wouldn't have started doing property for myself, at least not for many years after. So although it was painful at the time, it was actually one of the best things to have happened to me. And it pushed me into being self-employed. But I have been self-employed for a long time. But I know many, many investors who do property part-time and they're not yet full-time in property. You can do that. Property is one of those great activities which you can do part-time and still keep your full-time job. The reality is that in property, although we think about, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in property, but the reality is that in property, there's a lot of downtime in property. When you find your first deal, for example, if you're only looking for one deal and you find a deal, it could be two months while the solicitors mess around with completion and you haven't really got very much to do. So you may as well be going to work during that two months until you get the deal through. Of course, once you've bought the property and you then get to do a refurb, you might have to get somebody else in to help project manage it for you if you're going to retain your full-time job. But again, you then go and find your second deal. When you find it and it's all agreed, you may then have another two months downtime while you wait for the solicitors to do their stuff and that deal to complete. So it doesn't necessarily follow that you're going to be doing a lot of stuff all the time. One thing which we do say at Progressive is that if you're thinking of sacking your boss, don't quit your job now. Don't go to a training. Don't turn up at a multiple streams of property income event next weekend or whenever it is. And then on the Monday morning, go to your boss and say, stuff your job, I'm leaving. Don't do that. Start part time. Go and do some deals. Then when you've done enough deals, when you've got a few deals under your belt, when you've got a bit of income coming in, when you've made some lumps of cash, that's when you can go full time. So make it into a process rather than an event, if that makes sense. You know, the reality is that even some of the more sophisticated strategies don't need to be full time, particularly at the beginning. Commercial conversions, for example, you could probably start your commercial conversion business on perhaps just eight hours a week, maybe, you know, an hour every evening or with a few hours at the weekend. It doesn't have to be a lot. The same with buy to lets. Probably the main time you're going to be using when you start off in buy to lets is maybe Saturday going out and viewing the properties. The rest of it, you can probably do sort of part time from home in the evening, just looking on right move and calling agents, maybe at lunchtime from work. It doesn't have to be full time. So don't quit. Work into it. Make a process. Transition. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Transition across. The key thing is knowing that you want to go full time in property is to get the right processes and the right systems in place so that when the time is right, you can then just pull the plug on your job and move across. One of those processes is making sure that you've got enough income coming in to be able to pay yourself, of course. And that's either going to come from flipping properties and having lumps of cash or building a portfolio or doing some deal packaging, maybe, and finding some deals and selling the deals on. There'll be a way that you can do that. But just have a plan, keep to the plan, and then when you're ready, then you can become self-employed. So are property investors self-employed? I would say probably the majority of property investors start 
being employed by somebody else, and probably a very good or high proportion of property investors out there are probably still employed. One of the things which I often say when I'm doing training is, you know, show me a hand if you want to sack your boss. Not everybody puts their hand up. Some people actually like their jobs and want to keep their jobs, but there's reasons why they want to do property on the side, and that's valid as well. If you love your job, if you're in a career, fantastic, but you might want to do some property deals on the side, maybe just to secure your pension or pay off the mortgage or help the children or create a legacy or whatever it happens to be, and I fully get that as well. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've got some more questions I'll cover in in another uh, episode later. In the meantime, this has been great fun. I do love these questions being some quite testing ones there. By the way, if you want to know a bit more about me, Peter Jones, then do come across to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. I'll see you there. Some resources there. You can pick up some free ones, some paid ones, my blog, some good videos. I hope you like this, the uh, information I'm giving out there, which will help you on your property journey. So come across and see me there. But until next time, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, here's to successful property investing. Success.